0: Welcome to Agile Clips, where we break down Agile into manageable pieces. There is a misconception that in Agile development, you can plan as you go along. In fact, you still need to plan ahead. What is different compared with waterfall development is that we respond to change over following a plan created when we knew less than we do now. Hi, Santosh. Hi, Andrew. How are you? Good. Yourself? How have you been? Very good. Busy as good, usual, Sant- but very good.
1: Uh, yeah, Santosh, how are you? We're doing well. I'm doing well, thank you. As I mentioned to you, I'm getting uh, ready to start waking up real early for my meetings. So, this Well, is if you will good. insist on moving to Hawaii, you know... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I thought today
0: we could talk about uh, the fact that Agile doesn't mean figuring out things at the last minute or on a daily basis. And what made me think of that is that even though it's really a minor thing, that we were planning to uh, record this podcast uh, earlier in the week and then something came up. So we were very flexible and we just rescheduled. It was no problem. But it was just, you know, just made me think about what happens in a business in- environment where even the best laid plans go awry and so I thought it would just be a good topic to talk about planning in an agile world and uh, how you deal with commitments to the other parts of the organization and so on what do you guys think it's it's almost like we were responding to change over
2: following a plan wherever I heard that before (laughs) Uh.
1: Well, this is this is what is called eating your own dog food. So we actually <laughs> sure are agile. Well.
2: <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, it would be a bit embarrassing if we weren't. Huh? So yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. But I, I, I think, you know, it's interesting that you bring this up. I'm, uh, just now in, you know, last uh, um, assignment that I had, we had exactly that kind of situation that we were all gung-ho, ready to go, and uh, the previous sprint or the release uh ran into trouble so everything started moving and initially they were like <laughs> but then said okay we're yeah, fine you know we'll use that uh, time to get more things done before the next big plan starts it's really how flexible we are and we can use the um, extra time or whatever the things come our way uh, to go yeah. through that so yeah um there was initial panic but uh people People responded, and uh, actually it worked out well.
2: Isn't it it funny that even in the most agile of environments, people would still panic,
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, as
2: if, oh, my God, this was completely unforeseeable. It's a disaster. Well, I I get that if you're working on something that is very tightly time-bound, like getting the Super Bowl app ready before the Super Bowl, (laughs) then, yes, you know, there would be a certain element of panic in it. No, I mean, I I think the point is that a misapprehension about Agile is that it means that you don't have to plan. Well, that's bonkers. You know, you've got to have some kind of plan because the plan, after all, is the structure inside which you consider who's going to benefit from what and why, and your best guesses initially at how and by whom. And you've got to gather up all of that stuff. And then you want to manage your schedule. And so you want to be able to put some of that into some kind of scheduled framework. And if it's something where you really have very high uncertainty, then you may be looking at going, well, let's try and get something done by a particular date, but we won't know what the thing is until we get it finished. Right. Or if it's something for the Super Bowl then it might be like well we've got to get it done by that date and it's got to work good enough but it doesn't have to be perfect.
1: Well know? I think that's what that's that's what I was going to say is that if there is a time boundness then yeah. we start looking at what can get done. So if whatever that that is that MVP yes. or MA, that's where it comes down to. Remember we used to play that game um, the wedding planning and yeah. all kinds of things used to be thrown into that. Like first, you know, uh, other than the bride and groom ran away, uh, everything else would go wrong. And right. still, you know, <laughs> I mean, you had to have a plan. You had to have yes. what is absolute minimum that you have to do. And then you, everything else falls into nice to have instead of have to have.
2: It, it, it's, a, it's a sublime analogy, isn't it? Because as long as the bride and groom get married, exactly, everything else is gravy. Yep, absolutely.
1: I mean, that's um, that's what this planning is all about. Is as you were saying, you know, what is the benefit you are going to derive? As long yes. as you are focusing on the benefit, and then plan accordingly. That this is what the benefit is. So we are trying to accomplish, and that to maybe benefit one, two, three, four, five. Yes, and then yes. you can start from there.
2: Each project is different in terms of the certainty about the benefit. You know, it could be something where the CEO's mother-in-law thought it was a good idea. Well, is she right? Who knows, right? Well,
1: it's uh, the hippo thing, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it could be something where your market
1: That's research. That's no way is to speak a- of a mother-in-law.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh thank you. Okay, you better Here explain me. what we mean by hippo. <laughs> Try
1: the prawns. <laughs> It your interest, it's it's called the <laughs> highest-paid person's opinion. It has nothing to do with personality or physical appearance. No, but right. I, I think what you you bring up a good point is to we re- you really have to analyze or, or come out with a a way of weighting um, these things and say what is the true benefit and yes. is it the perception of a benefit or a actual value delivered and how will yes. you measure it. Yes, and those kinds of things, we need to start right up, up front, then, you know, because what, I, what I've seen is also like, it's always the case that nobody's describing the problem. So what I finally mm. had to ask them to do was, what if what will happen if you don't have it? That's your yeah. problem. Yeah. And then now you are trying to look at the benefits out of it. And then you start focusing on what, which one you want to have first. Now the plan and everything else starts flowing into the picture. And then you have enough flexibility into that.
2: Yeah, it's true. Actually, that, yeah. that trick of turning something on its head and asking the negative, that's always a good one anyhow. You know, if people are like, assuming that we want to have it, what's the best way that we could stuff it up?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: That's, that's a really interesting question as well, because when people look at the best way to stuff things up, it gives them a pretty clear set of boundaries
0: outside which they should not wander. Right. Correct. Correct. I was mm. going to say, there's a technique known as a pre-mortem. And yeah. the idea is, you know, you really start with the end in mind and you figure out what could go wrong and work back and make sure it doesn't happen rather than letting it happen and then figure out why it went wrong.
1: Yeah. Little from the future kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's, it's always going to be
2: guesswork and you'll never be a hundred percent Right but it will at least sort of reduce the uncertainty and get everybody thinking in the game. You know what I mean?
1: Right, right. It's. I think last time, Andrew, you mentioned that you know most of the time people say, oh, we don't know what we don't know, but actually people should say what, we should talk about what we don't know, what we know. So yes. if you look at <laughs> as to, you know, what is the reality yes. of that, and then the uncertainty goes down as to what uh, we really know.
2: Absolutely. I mean, you know, given that a lot of agile's origins came from the same sort of origins as lean, and Mm -hmm. lean has a lot to do with driving out waste. Well, and one of the biggest areas of waste is in variability. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Now, it's Mm -hmm. easy to imagine that when you're dealing with mechanical manufacturing. If you've got half of the factory busy and the other half is doing nothing, that's wasteful and the unevenness going on there is very clear well how do we do that in software well you want to do it by uh, for starters making all of the stuff that you can automate automated mm-hmm. and that includes the social automation of having uh, your meetings at the same time in the same place of being crystal clear of how the meetings should be prepared for facilitated the kind of outcomes coming from them all of that kind of stuff so that You can then actually deal with all of the unpredictable stuff with all of the available gray matter that you now have, because you're not having to think up about all of the stuff that actually was predictable. You can't necessarily plan for what the marketplace is going to do to you, what your competitors are going to do to you, but you can at least put a framework of certainty around everything you possibly can. So you are then yeah. fully ready to deal with the unforeseeable as it shows up. Yeah.
1: Because I mean, that, that's the roaming the risks. And as long as the concept is clear in everyone's mind as to what those risks are and how are we disposing them of or what they're... This disposition is, then the confidence yes. level will you know, get better, and then we are prepared for it, basically. All of a sudden, the marketing uh, market condition changes. Well, uh, what is the probability of that? If if that happens, then we are ready for it, so that we have enough flexibility. Yes. So you should uh,
0: explain about roaming risks. Not everybody might
1: know that. So roaming the risk is um, R stands for resolve, O stands for own, that means somebody owns it, saying that yeah, I will take care of it going forward. If something happens, come to me. A is for assume that, yeah, you know, we know it's going to happen or it may or may not happen, but we know it's out there. And M is for mitigated. That means we have alternative. We can, if the risk shows up, we have a way to circumvent that. So that's the, just coming from PI, our program increment planning, that PI mm-hmm. planning of uh, SAFE. But it, it is useful, and that has helped a lot to build the confidence. That's the kind of things we need. There are, these are the factors around that. How does the plan survive so that we have these components? The benefits are understood. The priorities or the order of the things that you're going to do is understood. And the risks are managed or understood. Then that plan becomes live entity, and we'll keep on moving. Yes. Right. I
2: think for, for all of those understoods, I'd always want to interject the word enough so that the next sensible
1: thing to do is actually do some work. Great, That's a good call. Otherwise, we'll go back to our old ways of writing every well, damn thing. Absolutely. Day. That's waterfall, That's trying track. to
0: predict everything and then stick to a plan, even though we learned that it makes no sense, but we just yes, try exactly. and stick to it.
1: Yeah. Yes, which, yeah.
2: which leads to the, the first rule of business, which is if it doesn't work, do more of it,
1: <laughs> right? That's important, uh, I guess, aspect of it is that everyone should feel that I am ready and I understand enough about it. Uh,
2: that's very good. One of the, the things that I've learned as a, an Agile coach is that if I'm starting with a new team, I'm probably going to want to work on coaching the PO before the Scrum Master or finding someone who's going to fill that role and work on backlog refinement before anything else to start Mm -hmm. to get the team into the sense of going, oh, we want to make sure that we've got just enough work that we understand just enough for the next sensible thing to do is to actually do the work. Correct. So that we can actually commit inside a reasonable time frame so that if we're wrong, we won't be very wrong. But if we're right, we've created something that's helpful to somebody right away.
1: Yeah.
2: And um, <laughs> the granularity for that seems to be enough work for a week or two, which is how scrum. comes from. Tends and to I think,
1: that. I think uh, one thing that, that, you know, that brings up that necessitates the feedback loop. That's why we now need to know enough so that we can get that first pass through or first passes through so that we can start getting the feedback. And that's yes. why you don't need to... 5 year plan all you need is maybe a month or two months or three months worth of plan and yes. you have feedbacks all the way through so that you could adjust that plan and that's what that the misconception about there is no plan required in agile is no, not yeah. that. there is a plan required but there is an adjustment at the frequency is much quicker than the old ways and where you will get the, the feedback is your ultimate customer who is going to consume whatever you are producing. It could be a service product. I think that's the other aspect of the planning side of things.
0: Exactly. The situation I'm well, in it... I mean, now, my team is in where we um, we released some software to several thousand beta users and they, mm-hmm. they like the concept, but all our plans to add more features have gone out of the window because... We're having to deal with the feedback that we got and some things that we didn't think would be issues and are, you know, we're we're doing it, but it's great. I mean, it's just proves the the value of the feedback, get the basics into the product. And then
1: every two weeks, we'll add more features later on. That's fine. I think, Steve, I think you had mentioned uh, way back when, that's why the quality makes a huge difference in this feedback loop, because... If the quality of the product is high, then the feedback is on the feature of the product, not the quality of the product. So so if you roll something out and the bugs are being reported and then customers are mad because of the bugs, then the feedback you're getting is, oh, your software is buggy. Yes. Instead, you're looking for how is the feature? Are you going to be using it? (laughs) They're like, we are not using it because it's buggy. So I think the quality plays a huge role in that whole thing.
2: I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's funny as you were saying that. Uh, I, I think how much of a grammar Nazi I am. And it only takes me spotting somebody not using an Oxford comma or spelling lose with a double O as if it was yeah. loose. And I will literally, I'll stop reading. I'm like, idiot. How can he possibly be writing anything that's of any contribution to me? I'm going to stop reading right now and stop wasting my time. It's exactly the same thing. If, if your user tries to log in and it, the login dialogue is confusing, doesn't work, whatever, they're not going to give a damn. I was a while back working with somebody who was trying to produce yet another tool for conflict resolution and planning. And every time he tried to have a demo with me, something new broke. And it was clear that he and his guys hadn't tested it enough. The terminology that was being used for everything was stuff that they'd just made up and were incapable of explaining well. So it just meant that the signal to noise ratio was way too low. You just couldn't see the value of this thing because it was so buggy and obscured by their own internal jargon that they didn't even understand that others wouldn't understand. And they'd they'd been working on this for a couple of years. So not a couple of weeks to find out if somebody was like, oh, that's good. By the way, I don't understand what this term is.
1: Well, you know, that brings up a good point about when I mean, we are going getting away from the plan side but still I think it's the feedback side of planning is that almost like 80% of the functionality that is deployed is unused. So yes. we were talking about the lean side of things. It's why are we creating so much junk, spending so much effort and money around that and only 15% is truly used. Then that whole plan is of uh, of no use that if you're creating those things. But if you would have had that feedback sooner, even though you didn't have five year plan, you had only five week plan, you would have had a lot better product from the get go. So it's, you know, those are the things that we need to look at as to are we solving the right problem and are we uh, solving the problem right both ways
2: yes and who's who's making a decision about it being a problem because feedback doesn't just mean that your manager takes a look and tells you it's okay is he going to pay for your mortgage is he going to pay for the mortgage of everybody <laughs> in the company no he's not
1: right yeah who is actually paying for your paycheck <laughs> even yes. your boss's boss's, boss's paycheck
2: <laughs> yes you, you've got to be really clear about what the feedback is that you're after I spent a bit of time taking a look at doing some work for a university's uh, alumni association. Uh, And for them, it wasn't about money. That wasn't the big value. It was about alumni engagement, because Hmm. how they were funded was basically from that university's, uh, whatchamacallit fund, what is it, the um, endowment. But there were people who had to look at it and go, well, is this actually providing the longer term value of what would it be? Would it have really been reputation of the mm-hmm. university so that we can actually say, well, if you're an alumnus of this university, we have an alumni association where we've got people who've been with it for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. That for, for them was the key metric. They were aware that they had developers who were very, very clever people. It was in a university, after all, who were doing stuff because it was like, you know, damn your metrics. This is really interesting software development that we're doing here. Mm -hmm. And that was a lot of what they actually had to deal with was getting people out of the, the fascination with the problem that they see as interesting and solving the problem that they're actually being asked to solve. Whilst also I, at the same time, you no, know, we know no, that you I, I, don't want to throw that stuff away if they've got interesting things. That's why we recommend things like FedEx days and take a day, produce something that works by the end of it. If it's helpful, we'll think about including it in the, the release. Next.
1: The next thing that we were looking for was that um, concept of last responsible moment. Yeah, so any examples that we can think about as to what is the last responsible moment that we have experienced as planning or not not getting into the details of planning? Well, I think
0: first of all, I would just mention that the problem with not using the last responsible moment is that you're planning too far ahead when it may be you're planning for something that's never going to happen or it could be a waste of effort. So the later you can wait, when you have more information, then the more efficient it can be. But the other side of the coin is if you don't know what you don't know, you can easily end up not doing it at the last responsible moment, but it becomes an irresponsible moment because you left it too late.
1: Yeah, that's the thing that 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 responsible word carries. You need to know where that line is in the timeline itself yeah so that oh, you can say ah beyond this whatever we know we run with it
2: then, and that's exactly why I do that thing of of getting a team started by having them get good at doing sprint level backlog refinement mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. You, you only need to do that two or three times for them to start to get a sense of what roughly what a sprint or two's worth of work actually looks like mm-hmm. and that anything mm-hmm. beyond that they may want to start to look into it yeah they product people might be looking at you know how we're we going to fit these moving parts together as we go ahead but that's for me the last responsible moment for sprint planning is 10 days before the beginning of the sprint and about four days before the beginning of the sprint you have one refinement session where you go all right fellows this is what i think we're going to get up to next sprint let's take a look at it good way of running that is to ask um let's have a look at this first thing without saying any more about it do we know enough to estimate it
1: well the other thing that i have used is um Every time we have a sprint, I ask them a question as every story that you are we are building, what is it going to feed into the next story? In the sense what are we learning from that so that we can plan or refine the subsequent stories or Mm -hmm. the features? And once you have enough information coming from that story, now you have enough to build the next one or the next feature or whatever that is that you're building. And once you have that concept going, that here is the reason why we are building. Or it could be, yeah, that's it. After this, nothing happens. Well, great. Then you already know you are you at are it. But if you're going to be feeding into the next one, that's when automatically it starts lining up.
2: Right, right. And that definitely points to all of the different techniques for how you do user story refinement or requirements refinement, whatever you call it. Mm-hmm. What's well, a classic example? You're going to be doing something where you're going to be taking payments. Well, let's do it if we're in America, let's do it for U.S. dollars. Mm -hmm. And then once we've got it working for U.S. dollars, we'll have figured out how this payments thing works. And then maybe we'll look at doing it for, say, pounds and lira, right, from a couple of other markets. And we can start to get to grips with what would we need to handle if we're going to do that. Good. Now we've started to understand things about how you deal with taking payments in Europe. We can introduce Franks, Deutschmarks, krona, all of the other, so that you, you're absolutely right. That would be a good way of going, let's go one
1: before we go many. Right. It's a right. shuhari stuff.
2: Yeah. I have tucked away somewhere in all of my stuff that I use for training. I think I've got a total of something like 37 different ways of splitting user stories, of actually taking something where somebody looks at it and goes, how are we going to do all of this? It's impossible to take it to pieces. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. No, it's not. Yeah. Take a look at this list. There's something we'll be able to do.
0: For me, yeah, the it's... most important things is anything that's outside of the team that you have no control over, you really have to do early and understand the dependencies yeah. because I've been in situations where we've developed some software, we need something done by another team. And then we find out that they literally, this happened to me, they had a 12-month backlog before we could get something relatively simple done. And it was disastrous. Again, just whenever there's anything that involves other people that you cannot control, get that figured out early. And then within a team, usually I think even of the UX design being done, only just before the sprint starts. But on the other hand, something like the overall design language or general appearance of an application, I prefer, I know not everybody does it like this, but I prefer to get that figured out early when we do the original planning so we don't have to do a lot of rework. Some teams like to just really figure out the, I mean, work on the functionality and then do the the styling as a last step.
2: Yeah, but the the customers don't pay for clever functionality. I mean, Mm. you
0: think they do, right?
2: But when you actually present them with the form, they want to understand it and for it to just work. That's one of the things that you learn very quickly when you look at UX work is everybody that's worked with a a PC or a Mac for any length of time probably doesn't realize that they've been trained to have at least four different ways of doing the same thing, whether it's from a menu, a button, a right-click, or whatever. Yeah. And they just, they're just—they're just going to expect it to do that. So you're right. If you get your UI standards out of the way early, so you don't have to think about that, and it's consistent, and you're not going to confuse your customer, otherwise you're going to get bug reports that aren't bugs—they're confusions.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the features go away. I mean, the ability to evaluate feature go away.
2: Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. By the way, I take back that really the first thing that I do with a team is—is is deal with the backlog. The very first thing I do if I'm given the, the ability to do it, is a chartering process, which can take a couple of days. And as part of that chartering process, I want them to produce a context diagram. And a context diagram is basically the team in the middle. And then it's anything that they would need to be doing for each other inside a circle. But then outside the circle, it would be anybody else with whom they need to communicate. And mm-hmm. what is it that they're going to communicate under what conditions and what are the conditions of satisfaction? And even if they're aware of it, any communication layer outside that. So they actually have drawn out where there are likely to be dependencies coming from. And all right, it's it's a view that makes it a little hard to then go, okay, well, how do we turn that into an actual plan? Well, you don't, but it gives you something to refer to as you're planning to go, now, is there anything we haven't taken into account that could trip us up? Is there anybody that we need to go to And say, what do you need from us so that you can provide us with what we need from you? And when do we need to have that conversation? Because otherwise, it's exactly what you just said, Steve, that you suddenly discover that there's one poor bottleneck team that has demands on it from all over the organization. One of the most effective pieces of coaching I ever witnessed was back when I was part of a very large team of coaches. And there was a a team that was at the core of the functionality of the whole organization. And these poor guys had the worst reputation for exactly that sort of reason, that everybody made demands on their time. Everybody Mm. was waiting for things. And these poor people were, were working on 157 things at the same time. So nothing ever got done. And the coaching session, it was just for an hour. And it was with this team and some of the core players of their stakeholders, and the, the senior coach leading it spent 40 minutes getting people present because mm. there was so much fear and anger and upset and denial in the room that to get people from attending the meeting to participating in the meeting took the first 40 minutes. Then he was able to ask, right, what do you guys need from these guys so that you guys can be successful? Got it. Who's going to arrange for that? Good, write that down. What do you guys need from these guys? Had that conversation, took 10 minutes. Suddenly, yeah. everybody was like, oh, we actually kind of know what we're up to now. Here's the thing, the wonderful thing. Six sprints later, this core team had run out of work. Instead wow. of being a team that everybody else was waiting for for months and months and months, that was all it took that they just realized that they got into a situation where they were so terrified they weren't communicating properly. And so, mm. of course, mm everything was a number one priority because people weren't getting their work done. So they were escalating it. So they were escalating it more. Uh, It was a a marvelous piece of coaching. And, you know, that was one of the moments fairly early in my career where I was like, oh, I've just seen the real value of what we can accomplish as coaches.
1: Very true, very true. You know,
2: I mean, dozens of people's lives got better. And a project that at that time was two years late, that was roughly $20 million of cost. Being two years late, wow! No. Right? Oh, yeah. Every, so every, I mean, yeah. you know, it's yeah. like, oh, <laughs> we're not blowing smoke when we talk about this stuff. This this really has a massive impact.
1: Exactly. Exactly. You and know. we don't realize where the actual the value will start coming from. In no. the sense, yeah. That once you start streaming those things out, you know, get the noise out of the things, and yes. there is always a visibility. And in the, that's that's what it's called: making work visible
2: exactly what these guys did to then manage everything they got a huge six by four of pin board, you know that portable squishy stuff right and they made it like their own portable whiteboard and they literally mm. carried this enormous thing around with them with all of the backlogged work from all of their dependent stakeholders yeah. on it so they could literally walk in and it wasn't looking through a screen at jira or something i think actually they were using rally i think they mm-hmm. had this physical thing. And this was just the backlog of grooming stuff until they were ready to commit to it so that everybody understood what everybody else was asking for. It was, right. And they came up with it themselves. It was a perfect example of when you let the guys see what the problem is to solve, they're smart people. They'll figure yeah. it out. Yeah, it was yeah. wonderful. Then, it was just wonderful.
1: And once everybody has seen it, they own it, then yep. they will commit to it. Yeah. Lot more easier. Yeah. It's just that it always happens the email hell. Oh don't
2: <laughs> yes. Yes. It, that's actually on my backlog is to produce a little session on perfect email. So we might okay. we might talk about that on another occasion, actually. That would be a fun thing to talk about because you're right. Those email threads where people are being added and removed and the CC thing is changing in every one. And people are like, Well, it, it's it's in the email. That's oh. like saying it's in the documentation. <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Good luck. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know. All right. So I think we have touched on most of the areas that we are thinking of. Steve, any other things that we want to
0: talk about? I guess we could talk a little bit about uh, making commitments to other parts of an organization. So when you mm-hmm. have, um, for example, in my case, uh, I'm currently working in a company with um in consumer electronics, and we literally sell hundreds of millions of products in just about every country in the world. And marketing plans are very detailed. And we need to coordinate to make sure that software and the marketing effort and everything else, everything needs to be aligned. So we make commitments to each other. And how do you manage that? So I think the answer is that you make commitments at a high level, not in some of the detail of what will be delivered. You put in some buffering to make sure that the date that you committed to, you can really deliver, even though you might think you really can finish your work earlier and so on and so forth. So I think there are some techniques for managing it, but I wondered what you guys think about that kind of situation.
2: Well, do you remember what the three pillars of Agile are? Transparency, inspection, and adaption. And the trouble with commitment is that if it's heard as now we have a contract that is graven in marble and signed with your children's blood, then it's like transparency goes away. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. we're working with things that are inherently unpredictable, then it's actually irresponsible to assume that that commitment is a hard and fast promise, particularly if you don't really understand whether there are inflexible time-based aspects, inflexible function-based aspects. Why is this commitment important? Is it a commitment to the stock market? And if we miss it by 0.1 of a percent, we're all going to be out of pocket. Does it mean that children will be dying in the ICU? You know, just, just making the commitment is nothing like sufficient. It then has to be maintained over time, inspected and adapted. As you keep the the complexity of whatever it is that you're dealing with is revealed, as well as the context in which it's being created is being revealed, the market. If you just think that, you know, it's that old, old thing of trying to produce a, a, a reliable plan at the time that you know the least. Well, it's bonkers, right? I love the distinction that you can be committed to something without being attached to how it turns out. So you want to be careful about how you would word your commitments, right? That If you're like, I promise that we will deliver XYZ to a certain level of quality on this specific date, you're probably going to be in trouble, right? Yeah. Yeah. But if your commitment is framed around, we understand that the value that you're trying to create for your customers is a substantial increase in XYZ metric. And we will keep you informed as we go as to how we're progressing towards that to determine how realistic that is as an ambition. I mean, that's why we have tools like burn up charts so that you can actually go, right, well, we want to hit this on this date. Let's start drawing the line as we head towards it. And as soon as we see that we're going to miss it, we want to adjust our plan accordingly. You don't want to wait until the last minute and go, you know, that commitment about how we're going to be done by tomorrow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, uh, about that. Have have you uh, heard of the Watermelon Project? The Watermelon Project is one where you ask project managers how it's going, and they're like, oh, it's green. And you're a month mm. in. How's it going? It's green. And you're a quarter, and it's green. And you've got a week to go. How's it going? Well, it's actually red. (laughs) Well, it's actually been red all along. And it's really just them taking care of their own personal concerns. And this is where we could get into a whole other world of stuff what are people taking care of and what are their real concerns and what are their actual needs in the workplace? If people are going, I want to make sure that my guys are not being permanently bombed by senior management. So I'm not going to tell management that things are going badly. That's where your commitment has backfired on you.
1: Right. You know, instead of Mm. saying, Oh, when am I going to get this? We could do the other way saying on this date, what am I going to be able to get? Mm. You'll get a lot better predictable answer. Because when you say, when am I going to get this? It's basically thumb in the air. And it's really, they know, because it's, there are so many things that not anybody's control. So yeah. instead, if we start doing the commitments, look at the scope I say, what kind of scope we can deliver at that level instead of, yeah, you'll have this whole product. Well, now maybe the first part of that or something of that nature. Mm. Even with the large scale projects or large scale products, which are going around the world, it is still similar. It is a scalable kind of thing. If you plan it that way, you think that there is going to be things coming in phases and that's what, that's what it's going to look like. And I've seen it even in the hardware kind of things. I've worked with some other hardware companies where they turn their, things into kind of incremental prototypes and things like that. So well,
2: yeah, it's, some it's of the original dangerous. lean and agile thinking came from hardware, you know, X-15 yeah. project back in the day. Yeah. I, yeah. One of the other things that I'd recommend, and it can rock people back on their heels a little, is when you're asked for a commitment, you may want to find out why is making that commitment important?
1: Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm.
2: If your boss is saying, you know, I need you to commit to get it done by Q2 22, You'd want to find out, well, uh, why is that important? What's important about that? Because there may be other ways of actually meeting that importance that, you know, if they're like, well, we've made a promise to the market. Okay, but what did you promise to the market? You think of early days of Apple. They never promised anything to the market. They built stuff. And when it was ready and fabulous, they released it. And we were like, oh, my God, that's amazing. Things changed for them when they started to promise things to the market. I think of other products. I mean, I'm a longtime Microsoft Office user and I'm a power user. I use the 80% that other people don't use, right? Yeah. And I like seeing how incrementally little things happen much further down in the, in the life cycle. You know, I can remember when Office was just a twinkle in Microsoft's eye, right? <laughs> All of these things have, you know, the kind of commitment is different. I use book collection management software, Calibre. There's typically Mm -hmm. one or two releases a month and some of them are so tiny. It's just things going on in the background, but they never promise what they're going to do next. It's just always getting a bit better and a bit better and a bit better and a bit better. And so the guys who are developing that have learned that they don't make commitments and yet they're still doing very nicely. Thank you very much. So it's, it's a great, it's a great question. I get that for a big international organization that's selling software and hardware through 157 different markets, That would be an issue. But once again, we're pointing to that fundamental that gets missed of good, high quality communication, right? That if you've got somebody saying, we need a commitment from you guys, if you go, okay, I got that, but why? What are you managing with that commitment? What, What are the real needs that you're dealing with? Once you know that, then you can be like, good, now we understand what it is that you truly need. We understand what it is we should be working on and what we need to keep you informed about. And by the way, if those needs change, and they may, can you let us know? Mm-hmm. Right. It was that kind of conversation that went back to the example I was telling you about. That Instead of it being, we need a better commitment from you guys, it turned into, let's, let's talk about this. Oh, I see. We can't really ask you for a commitment right now because these other six teams are asking you for a commitment. And actually, their work is more important. Got that.
1: Now, now right. you're actually having conversation instead of throwing over the wall
2: exactly having real conversations and acting like um adults wow (laughs) i said that didn't i oh well
0: (laughs) i think uh yeah that's a great way to end this conversation
1: (laughs) yeah that's a sobering (laughs) thought yes yeah
0: awesome awesome Awesome. i I think this
1: was was a great session yeah yeah a delight as
2: always and and um thank you for proposing the topic steve and You know, guys, thank you very much for always setting up the space in which we can have these great conversations, and I do hope that others benefit from them.
0: Absolutely. Yes. Thank you, guys.
2: um, All right. right, So next time, guys.
1: Bye. Bye, everyone.
0: Bye.